The content discussed in this episode is for educational or informative purposes only and should not be replaced by individualized professional consultations or professional medical advice. Welcome to the founder series of Dr. Tip the Podcast. This year, I'm signing up for a triathlon happening in summer and to prepare myself, in this founder series, I'm going to be having one-on-one conversations with experts in the field and hopefully it will keep myself accountable and nurture my community on a day-to-day. So without further ado, hope you enjoy this episode. So hi, everyone. So today is our founder series, and today we have Andy Chan. Uh, Andy Chan is a certified strength and conditioning specialist educator, and drawing on his master's degree in exercise science and influenced by his tenure stay in the United States, he has a unique outlook on health and athletic performance. He recently released his book, Dynamic Balance, where they look at the interconnectedness of diet, emotions, and training through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine. So, so glad to have you on the show, Andy. Welcome to Dot of the Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So, Andy, I am on a journey of getting ready for a triathlon. And the idea of the Founder Series is to speak to different coaches, sports scientists, athletes to get the guidance, the advice so that, you know, I'm not too, too lost in this uh, journey. And so what I'd like to speak about today is the balance between exercise and rest. I'd like to pick your brains on, you know, what physiologically speaking happens when you're actually exercising and training, but how rest comes into to the actual overall holistic process of getting ready for a triathlon. When we look at the topic of recovery, it has certainly been increasingly popular uh, over the past few years because we, we realize that we just cannot go hard forever. Uh, and, and even though society tells us to keep training hard, keep the grind, keep working hard, keep training hard, I think we do realize that at some point our bodies break down. And, you know, in recent years, I actually have been going back to ancient wisdom in explaining the need for recovery. This is usually where I would explain what the yin-yang philosophy signifies. And to be honest with you, sometimes if I am speaking to a more Western audience, there is a preconception to what the yin-yang philosophy is. And they would probably say, oh, why are you bringing up the yin-yang philosophy to talk about recovery? And this is where I tell them, well, if you think about the yin-yang philosophy, if we apply it to movement, we'll know that if we're going hard and strenuous, we're going aggressive, you know, running as fast as we can today, then we'll know that's yang because that signifies something that's energetic and fast and bright. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, if you think about the yin and sign, it is complementary and yet, yet it is contradictory, right? So if you look at the symbol, it has equal amounts of white and equal amounts of, of black. And if we think about our daily lives, you know, our, our current lifestyle, I would say a lot of us are, we put an emphasis on the aggressive side and on, yeah. the, on the energetic side, and we're just not putting enough emphasis on the recovery. And so through that simple philosophy, we will know that, you know, we actually humans figured this out thousands of years ago that we need to have good balance when it comes to longevity, when we, when it comes to human performance. And on the, on the actual recovery part, what we know in, in modern exercise science, we always say that your progress always hinges upon your body's ability to tolerate, to recover from, and to oh, adapt okay. to a stress right? So let's say today, Guni, you, you train for a triathlon, you're doing right. all these training, you're putting all the stress on the body. If your body cannot tolerate and cannot recover from and cannot adapt to this stress, then, hey, you're not going to become a better athlete. So it is because mm-hmm. of these two perspectives that we say recovery is critical to athletic performance and overall health. 
I am no athlete here, but no, no, no. <laughs> Everyone is an athlete. Everyone is an athlete. in their head but uh, physically speaking i am not there <laughs> but you know when you want to get to a certain target and you have goals some people might think that rest might kind of prevent them from getting there it's like oh i'm wasting my time resting instead of you know being out there training and and getting myself you know um building up muscles or building up endurance because you did touch upon yin and yang so it's a balance but would you say that the equal amount of stress that you put on yourself as you train needs to be counteracted at the same amount of level for resting yeah that's a great question right so the the question is essentially if we look at it from another perspective is how do we define the quality of our recovery or how do we define what to do in our recovery because right. let's say let's say if i train for triathlon 3 hours a day 1 hour running 1 hour on the bike 1 hour swimming do i just like do nothing for 3 hours <laughs> and sweat and 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 i think this is where people need to be educated because there are a lot of ways to actively recover and, and certainly we know now in in the exercise science world people are applying a lot of not only pharmaceuticals but actually natural techniques that were used again if we tie back to Chinese medicine you know if you look at the fitness industry now people are applying cupping they're applying acupuncture and they're applying maybe some gua sha or some scraping if you look at exercise science they they will look at our soft tissues or our fascia or basically the connective tissues that surrounds the muscle what we know is that through strenuous training let's say if our muscles are overworked then the analogy that we will give or the picture that we usually give is let's imagine you're holding a sponge in your hand and if you kind of draw if we draw parallels there if you think of that as your soft tissue ideally we want the sponge to be pliable and we want it to be soft and and that way we can manipulate it because if you right. think about athletic performance you know the best athletes are the ones who are agile and they can move in all different directions and they're powerful and elegant in their movement those people who think they're not athletes no, number one they're not coordinated and number two the reason why they're not coordinated is because when they try to move or when they try to dance when they try to run their movements are just a bit rigid mm-hmm. and and we we know that if you think about the sponge a a sponge that is pliable can contribute to smooth movement yet on the other hand a sponge that is hard brittle and just a bit rough it 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 has trouble producing those elegant and smooth movements so therefore we know that if we are training for a long time and we if we have overused the muscle then we have to apply modalities that returns to that pliable state and one if we look at the physical modalities we can obviously apply those three that I talked about so the acupuncture the gua sha the scraping but this is where the mental side comes in because you know actually our the state of our soft tissue is directly related to our emotions because my emotional state elicits or evokes responses from my body So the current state of my mind actually determines or has a big impact on how my soft tissues react. Essentially these practices in traditional Chinese medicine let's pick one a practice uh, acupuncture. What does it effectively do? To understand acupuncture I they will say that it is through injecting needles that you stimulate different acupuncture or acupressure points and through that you can stimulate a reaction from the body and and therefore improving circulation. which in the Chinese medicine language it is called blood and qi so that's 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 their way of of explaining uh, the smoothness of energy we are 
improving circulation by injecting needles into certain acupuncture points into along the lines of meridians. And we know now from the Western perspective that by stimulating the skin, we are inducing changes that happens that originates from the brain. Doing a session in acupuncture, what's happening is like there's like a uh, also a um, redirection of your energy because as you're you know stressing your body in a certain way, there are maybe certain muscles that are solicited more than the others, and so rearrangement of energy, it's that balancing off of that the yin and the yang that you were you were you were talking about in the beginning. Yeah, and uh, well, I just want to piggyback on that and and. And Chinese medicine has always been predicated on the fact or based on the premise that the body is an interconnected unit. It's an ecosystem. Look, Western medicine has changed lives for sure. We, we all know that. Yet in anatomy, in traditional anatomy sessions, we, we have learned in school that muscles work in isolation. So my biceps, it, it flexes my elbows. My, my shoulder, it, 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 my, my deltoids, it flexes my shoulders. And we know, we now know that the body is so much more than just these isolated body parts. And, you know, people have been saying this for thousands of years. So I, I agree with you, this redirecting energy uh, is profound. And what would be your, your advice to anyone that's out there in terms of any ethnic minority and who is trying to get out there, be more fit, exercise, living this kind of holistic lifestyle where we understand that there's, as you as you uh, beautifully put it in your in your book, which is an interconnectedness of diet, emotions, and training. Where it's basically what you uh, what you eat, how you feel, and how how you move. Um, for someone who's trying trying to put themselves out there and trying to be in this holistic kind of way of approaching life, what would be your advice to them? First off is to embrace cultural food. In the health and science or in the health and fitness worlds, there seems to be a perfect diet, which is steamed chicken, steamed chicken, steamed chicken, steamed broccoli, steamed fish, and brown rice, no dressing, yada, yada. Get your uh, get your vitamins in. And, oh my God, that's and so true. Yet there's this stereotypical diet. Uh, we say stereotypical, yet it is. there's some truth to it. The historic diets, we all eat different foods depending on where we are. And... And so therefore, the first advice I'll give is eat what is culturally acceptable where you are at. And chances are, if Mother Nature has given that to your culture, it is good for your body. And just don't assume that someone in Hong Kong should eat the same diet as someone in Scandinavia. Right. So I was in Scandinavia from a honeymoon two years ago in December, and I was there to see the Northern Lights. And just 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 to give you some context, in Hong Kong, we eat a lot of vegetables and we eat a lot of fresh food, especially fresh seafood. Mm-hmm. And and when I went to Scandinavia, it was so cold. It was minus twenty something degrees there, yeah. and there were no vegetables. And we were eating all these meat that I've I've never had before, and that was fine. You know, you've you've got to embrace it. Me or it would be insensitive of me if I go there and say, why don't we have more vegetables? Because we need to retain heat. And right. we need to retain energy. We need to warm the body up. So uh, usually the, the first advice I'll give is for diet, just, just stick to what's culturally acceptable and eat what's around you. In the very same way, when we are as a minority, don't feel like you have to conform to whatever is happening around you. Just embrace who you are and, and know that ultimately, if you make the best, healthiest decision for your body, 
other people will respect you. And, and, and what I find is certainly now I bear the fruits of my transparency and my vulnerability and, and other people respect me for, for it. Uh, but I would say at first it was quite hard being that person. Yeah, so if, you, yeah. if you're listening, just take heart in being yourself, essentially is what I'm saying. Yeah, live authentically, isn't it? Be yourself, be vulnerable. Uh, what about movement and, and training? What, what would be your, your message to them? Well, if we tie it back to the beginning of the podcast where we used an analogy of a sponge, we, we talked about how the sponge should be, it should be pliable, it should be soft so we can manipulate it in different ways. And if we look at the connection between our soft tissue, which is the sponge and our mental state, we have to first understand two responses, the fight or flight response and the rest and digest response. So on the fight or flight, as the name suggests, thousands of years ago, we might be chilling uh, under, under a tree and all of a sudden there might be a predator. So there might be a lion or a bear right in front of us. So at that moment, you have two choices. You either fight it or you run from it. And, and as a result, in this state, your mind, perhaps the body, it evokes a response, an inflammatory response, in fact, that tightens up the body so that you can produce force immediately. Because we know that if your muscles or if your soft tissues, if the sponge is very loose, it, it's quite hard to generate a lot of force. On the other hand, if it is tight and if it is ready to go, then you'll be ready to fight or flight. So we know that in the fight or flight, in that inflammatory response, our body becomes rigid or mm-hmm. becomes tight. Um, and then in the, in the rest and digest state, it is the opposite because we know that the mind is trying to recover. So right. as a result, my, our heart rate goes down and our soft tissues become more pliable. So mm. this is where it connects because my mental state directly affects the, the, the status of my soft tissue. And this actually works in reverse. Like a lot of people just focus on the, the this, this one way direction, but the, this connection is actually bilateral. Meaning, let's say if today, if I'm just sitting for, for a long time, the mm-hmm. office position. So a lot of weekend, weekend warriors, they work at... Uh, in front of a desk for eight hours a day, and then they go train at night. But what happens during those eight hours is that you trick your mind into fight or flight by being rigid. Because let's say if I am sitting with a hunchback posture for even just for an hour, effectively, I am trying to make myself rigid. So by becoming Mm -hmm. rigid, my mind also thinks that I am in fight or flight. Yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, right? And then so yeah. over the long run, I'm just in fight or flight. And then we go to the gym, we do triathlete, uh, triathlon training, which is also, you know, fight or flight. And I think this is where the spiral happens because we then never give our body the chance to recover. Mm, yeah, what I really take out of this is the concept of agility and having being able to balance rest and active recovery. It actually helps you to to be more agile when you you need to train and, and when you're not supposed to train how to actually actively recover so that you can be more agile on performance level and has its importance and we shouldn't be neglecting it. Oh, for sure. And, you know, to take it one step further. So the next question we should ask is, so how should I train, right? So now we've talked about the, the connection between emotions and training. Well, here is where I draw from ancient wisdom, because as we all know, you know, in Chinese medicine, in yoga, in, in all these ancient practices, people have been practicing Qigong, they've been doing dances, and they've been doing different type of aerobics for thousands of years. And you know, we've been searching for elegant movements for a long time. Even when mm-hmm. people go on a run, you know, the best athletes who are running effortlessly, right? those who are running with effort, if they're just muscling it out, mm-hmm. they can never go far because we know that they're inefficient. We already know they're inefficient by looking at how they're running. 
Right. And therefore, at the gym, a lot of us have been stuck in isolated muscle training. So again, we tie back to the beginning of the podcast. We talked about in conventional or traditional anatomy, people look at the isolated muscle function. Yeah. So let's say today, if I want to become a better runner, some mm-hmm. people they might work on their core in isolation. So they they will do some setups because they think, oh, if I have a stronger core, it's going to reduce my injury risk. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the core in a functional sense, if you're a runner, the core is to help me transfer energy. So it is the link between my lower body and upper body. And if you think about ground reaction force, which means when I take a step on the ground, I'm interacting with the ground, and the core is to stabilize my body against outside forces. So a better way to train it is number one, I need to work on better coordination as you alluded to it. That's the key of my training philosophy because after all, the best athletes are the ones who can coordinate. Number two, we have to think about the core in that sense, which is to help us protect the spine, not to produce power because you don't do a setup in the triathlon that you're going to participate in. So when it comes to training, we have to understand isolated muscle training might not be the best way forward, but rather Mm -hmm. we're talking about total body movements so like a lunge plus a press or maybe squat plus press, basically more complex movements that we do. Right. I mean, it's it's a great takeaway, a great point you're making. And this morning I went swimming and I did look at some of the swimmers and it's like, how can I improve? And you could do you do see swimmers that are actually struggling in the sense that it, it looks like it's an effort to go through, you know, do that lap. And then you have very elegant, and I like the word that you're saying, like, elegant swimmers where you feel that they're actually dancing and it's effortless they're doing that lap so gracefully and you could tell that there's something different in in the way they're using their body to while they're effectively doing the same thing so i'll I'll be thinking how do i like make this more graceful as i train yeah yeah just remember to smile as you And, and and this just reinforces the point that we have been intuitively searching for elegant movement because That's the chances true. are once you see someone who's kind of going in their flow, you're going to be like, wow, right. she's an athlete. But for some reason, we just never think that we have the capability to move like her. Right? Mm. We just kind of think, oh, so this would happen. I, I tell you, like my typical client, they'll come in, oh, I'm a swimmer, uh, but I'm slow. So so I, I, which muscles do I have to work at? And, and right. I tell them, well, perhaps it's not a muscular thing. It's maybe it's a coordination thing because you're right. trying too hard. And, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's a mobility thing because from that bad posture, you're trying to force yourself into opening up your shoulders, yet you find yourself being a bit stuck. And, and, right. and in that instance, perhaps training for muscular endurance is not or muscular strength is not appropriate because what you lack is range of motion so this ties back to recovery because again if you're rigid sometimes it's 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 best to look at ways to recover and calm the nervous system down love it a full cycle yeah and what i'd like to kind of shift towards into our conversation is to get to know more about your experience as an ethnic minority in sport and with your experience in the u.s and now you're currently based in 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 hong kong but what was your experience in the sport world as an ethnic minority? So a little bit of my personal background, I spent 10 years in the United States for school. And I was a big football player, a big as in I was very into football, soccer in the US as they call it. And in 12th grade, I was chosen as the captain of my high school soccer team, which was something that I was immensely proud of. And the day that I was elected captain, I was voted captain by my teammates. The coach, he came to me and he said, you know, Andy, you should be very proud of yourself because there are not many Asians who could be 
a captain in a major sports team in Connecticut, which was the state that I was in. And at the time, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a pretty big achievement." But over time, I, if I think about it, that was quite a disrespectful statement because I, I don't know. Maybe he did mean, maybe he was well intended.、Uh, but now that I think back, he kind of boxed me in a little bit. Boxed you in, labeled you. The racist comment or the bias that comes with it is pretty heavy. And for a kid at that point to to deal with this, do you see how like automatically you try to brush it off? Because that's just you know coping mechanism, I guess. Yeah. Well, I I think the coping mechanism is just to pretend like there's nothing happening, right? Because certainly in 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 my high school there weren't that many Asian kids, and and the school was predominantly Caucasian. And I I would sometimes hang out with、uh, some African Americans.、Uh, I hang out with there were two three very good friends of mine, and then we would talk about the racism issues that happens within the school itself. And and obviously on on the fields it was all fair game because you always just let that. Why don't you go home? Chant with some expletives. Uh, in the middle of the game, whenever I do something horrible, and and it was frustrating, but yet I was numb to it.、Uh, to be honest, because if someone tells that to you every single game, then you just kind of treat it as、oh, it's just another thing they're gonna say. But what I think it had an impact on me though is the fact that I I now have developed a personality where I I feel like I have to prove myself to the world all the time. And we're gonna talk about the yin yang philosophy here because it's it's a good and bad, right?、Mm. Uh, There are always two sides to to a story. Me、Definitely. wanting to prove myself is good because I'm driven, right? On the outside, whoa, Andy's always driven. He's published a book. He's delivering all these conferences. He's out there impacting others. But we know on the on the on the negative side, we know this stems from an insecurity that I have inside me, which originated from me being the underdog all the time. Yeah, which which is sad to hear that that for example, that coach instead of celebrating your skills. Athlete that you were, he pointed out what you looked like was what was、um, emphasized. That's where the distance is drawn. It's because like you're different from us, and it did impact you. Because I think you were saying numbing, but you know, as ethnic minorities, you have these moments quite a bit, especially when you live in the West, and you have these microaggressions actually, and. And you just try to make it seem like it, it's not affecting you, but like again, in the in a more kind of holistic, energetical、uh, philosophy, this does affect you. And as you said, it affects you in a way where the way you you conduct yourself in your life, like there's almost this anger within me. It's like, oh, I've got to prove to all these Americans that I'm worthy, but you know, that's so unnecessary. So. I think for me now it it is knowing this、uh, kind of tendency of mine and 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 now for me it is a case of kind of toning it down because at the end of the day I don't have to prove to no one about my self worth and and what I can do so I, I I think that's what I'm I'm currently working on and you know what I'm really I'm really glad that you're opening up with regards to that particular side way we don't hear a lot of Asians that are sharing that. The experience of and the challenges with regards to to that because we usually stay in our own and maybe slightly talk about it within the community, but it's never put out there. So thanks for for being vulnerable and especially as as a man, an Asian man, it's it's something that you don't see often. So so thanks for kind of speaking up and being an example for for your community. You know, I, I sometimes. 
I need to be a bit cautious when I talk about my high school coach, so that people don't don't look him up. You know? <laughs> But I hope he reads it because then then he'll understand that he wasn't a very good teacher back then. He might、yeah. he might have improved now because we we all can change、uh, over time. So yeah, let's hope for the best. That's that's a that's a positive <laughs> outlook. <laughs> <laughs>、um, and so as we're closing our conversation, we always like to ask our guest、uh, rapid fire questions. So you ready? I am ready. Come at me. Okay. <laughs> so, what is the first sign that you notice when you're out of balance? First sign for me, my face is oily. You are the first person who tells me this. Okay. So you see your face getting oily. What is what is the coping mechanism with that? Yeah, the coping mechanism usually I I look whether I'm sleeping well or whether I'm eating too much meat because I I. I like eating meat, like a lot of fitness people do, because I, I, you know, I have a good mixture of east versus west. So I, I still think protein is important for my my studies, and as a result, sometimes I I'll still have too much protein. And we know that when we have so much nutrition, sometimes if the body cannot handle it, it's it's gonna be a bit damp in Chinese medicine terms, which means that there's just too much that the body cannot handle, and it'll be reflected in an oily face and maybe acne breakout and stuff like that. So that's usually the two that I look at. Because it also might be false, as in, as if 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 I'm not getting enough sleep, it might also give me a false response. So that's why I have to look at both my my sleeping、uh, quality and time, as well as what I'm eating. I love it.、Um, so having kind of your face being that signal. Well, I、sorry. look at my face all the time. So no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No narcissistic yeah, exactly. behavior. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, we 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 cannot、uh, we cannot escape the opportunity. Every single time you go to the bathroom, you look at your phone, and and so to anyone who says that they're not looking at their face that much throughout the day, I I, I just don't think so. I disagree. <laughs> Next question. Sorry. <laughs>、um, what is one book that impacted your approach to well-being and wellness? The book is actually called Deep Work, and believe it or not, it is a business book. And the premise of the book,、uh, "Deep Work" by Cal Newport, is that it is through concentrated work that fulfills us, and and we need to do enough deep work every single day to have a meaningful life. Essentially, because a lot of us have shallow lives these days, which just involves us looking on social media, not really doing anything. And the specific tip that actually changed my、uh, perspective on wellness is. Tip number two: Embrace boredom. People don't understand how profound this is because you know if we sit there just doing nothing, we feel a bit restless, right? Oh, I need to find something to do. And so, if you are able to embrace the fact that you are bored, you're actually embracing recovery, because you know we talk about how people think that we just sleep for recovery. Sleep is a great recovery modality; is the best recovery tool. Yet people are not sleeping; they're laying on top of couch watching Netflix, watching Discovery Plus,、mm-hmm. and <laughs> And and therefore, at that instant, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're all watching YouTube. So you know, if we just can embrace boredom, then I believe it will be very good for our mental wellness. And certainly, that's what changed my mental mental wellness, and and therefore have better results after that. So deep work by Cal Newport.、Uh, it's such a nice way to rephrase sit in stillness because sit sitting in stillness is something that you can hear when you know. Uh, in kind of the holistic vocabulary jargon, but embrace boredom is a direct translation and is much more relatable. So, so thank you for that. Thank you.、Okay. And it is much more positive. I, I actually、mm-hmm. didn't make that connection until you said it. But yes, it is the same thing. It is the same.、Yeah. Just be still. But it's a very positive way of going about being still. 
Exactly. Well, thank you, Andy, for spending the time with me on, on, on this show and sharing your wisdom around how to integrate kind of ancient wisdom into your daily training and actually just your lifestyle in general. So it's really valuable having you on the show. Thanks for having me, Kuni. It was a great chat. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and select that follow or subscribe button. For now, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.